0: I know that over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of devastation, and so perhaps this is God's perfect timing with us to consider uh, why Christ, why he is the source of happiness and human flourishing. But before we read the text, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let us pray together. Our Father, we ask that as we open your word this morning, you would satisfy the thirst of our souls. We ask that you would teach us the truth of your word. Illuminate our minds by your spirit to know your truth, to understand your truth. And oh, Father, we ask this morning that you would be exalted in our own lives and in the lives of this corporate body. As we read and hear your word this morning. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Christ's kingship over our lives brings true and lasting happiness. That is sort of the thesis statement of the Message this morning that I want us to walk away with Christ's kingship over our lives brings true and lasting happiness, and so I want us to know the way happiness and and human flourishing is found in the Christian life, and it's found when we walk in submission to Christ's kingship. This is what the New Testament, this is what all of Scripture points us to, and so follow along as I read Psalm 84. Let us read. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who, tr- who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. <coughs> Al Mohler has written an article in Eric Liddell. You can find it in its entirety at... Uh, AlbertMoehler.com. But I wanted to share just briefly about Eric Liddell. He was known as the Flying Scot, And he became an instant hero overnight when he ran the 400-meter race against all odds, and he won the gold medal in the 1924 Olympic Games. But winning the gold medal wasn't the glory Eric Liddell had set his sights on. In 1981, a British film called Chariots of Fire, details Liddell's Olympic journey. But the drama of his Olympic journey couldn't be separated from his Christian faith and testimony. The movie portrays the intense pressure that Liddell faced on the national stage because of his Christian faith. Although Liddell was favored to win the gold medal in the men's 100-meter race, one of his competitors, named Harold Abrahams, was a formidable formidable opponent, so before he became famous for winning the 400-meter race, he actually had become famous for his refusal to compete in the 100-meter race that he was supposed to win. Liddell's 100-meter heat had been scheduled for Sunday, and Sunday was a day that he would not compete because he he believed that if he did, he would be breaking God's commandment. Rest on the Sabbath. So Liddell was a man of conviction, and in spite of great pressure on the national stage, he would not bend. He sat out of the 100 meter heat. I and many others have attributed the words to Eric Liddell God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Well, he was fast. And when Eric Liddell ran, he ran for God's glory, and he felt God's pleasure. But it turns out that Eric Liddell never said these words, at least not anywhere that's been recorded. It was actually a line that was added in the script of chariots of fire. But what Eric Liddell did say, he did say this, God made me for China. He was born in China to English missionaries from the London Missionary Society. His parents had given their life to serving God, and for Liddell, there was there for Liddell. This is where he would return after the Olympics. He would return to China. In fact, the movie ends with these credits: Eric Liddell, missionary, died in occupied China at the end of World War II. All of Scotland mourned the end. The story of Eric Liddell's life is one of great hope. It's one of triumph. It's one of passionate pursuit of glory. But it's not the glory that we've seen on display through our recent Olympic Games. The glory that Eric Liddell pursued, it was a glory that was much weightier. It was the glory of God's name being made known through his life. It was the glory of being in God's presence eternally. This was the passionate pursuit of Eric Liddell's Life. Many of us don't know that story, if we know Eric Liddell at all, but this is the true story behind the story of this 400-meter Olympian. The psalmist in Psalm 84 is describing the journey that he's going on to meet with God in Jerusalem and to enter into his glorious dwelling place. The one who longs for God, I want us to see first this morning that the one who longs for God will be satisfied with the joy of his presence. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. In the way that the psalmist begins, the psalmist declares his affection for the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts. In fact, four times in Psalm 84, he addresses God as Yahweh of armies, Yahweh Almighty, the Lord Almighty. That's what it means, that Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He has confidence that God is all powerful. And he remembers back to his previous experiences where he's gone to the festivals and he's journeyed to the temple and he's entered into the temple and he's celebrated and he's enjoyed God's glorious presence. And he's captivated. He's captivated by the satisfaction and the joy of being in God's presence. He says, "How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. It's lovely not because of the beauty and the ornate beauty of the place. It's lovely because it is the place where God's presence dwells." And so in verse 2, he expresses his desire for fellowship with God. My soul Longs, yes, faints, he says, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sink for joy to the living God. He longs to be in the courts of Yahweh so much that he cries out in desperation. Physically, it's as though he can't continue to go on and make it without God's presence. He's weary, in fact, saying, My soul faints for the courts of the Lord. The sons of Korah also penned Psalm 42, which says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come before God? Notice how the longing, the desire, the desperation for the courts of God is followed, for the psalmist, by a confidence as he thinks about nearing the temple. So confident, in fact, that he begins to sing with joy to the living God. He knows the Lord of hosts has power over all forces in heaven and on earth. And because of this, there's, there's no reason for him to fear. He's the Lord of hosts. And he's the living God. In fact, one commentator says he transforms, God transforms adversity into prosperity, affliction into freedom and death into life. He is the living God. The psalmist is journeying to meet with the living God. He's not a dead God. He's not a impotent God who lacks power. He is alive. He is living church, our approach to worship God should be the same approach, the same as a psalmist approach to worship God. And really, this has been my prayer for us for as a, con- as a congregation throughout the week. It's been my prayer for myself. It's been my prayer for my family. It's been my, my prayer for us as we've been thinking about, and, and or at least as I've been thinking about Sunday and thinking about coming to meet with God's people and to meet with God today. My prayer has been, Father, as we gather to worship you on Sunday morning. Let us long for you as the psalmist longs for you. I fear that many Christians apathetically approach God today in such a way where we. We think we're doing God a favor by attending. But here's the thing that the psalmist is trying to show us, I think we need to see. If we think upon God and set our affections on God like the psalmist, then our worship will be transformed. You know why? Because our expectations will be transformed. So be honest. Has the thought of meeting with the living God and his people captivated your heart this morning? Be honest with yourself. Be honest before God. Has that thought captivated your heart this morning? You see, the one who longs for God will be satisfied with the joy of his presence. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. The thought for him, the thought in verses 3 and 4 is overwhelming. Even the sparrow and swallow nesting in the temple leaves are permitted to make their dwelling place near the altar of God. And so what he's saying is, how much more then, how much more happy are God's people who make God's house their dwelling place? The psalmist is envious of the birds and of the temple servants and of the priests and of the singers who dwell in the temple. Why? Why is he envious of them? He's envious of them because he knows, because they know the happiness. They know the blessedness of being in God's dwelling place continually. So I want to ask us, believer, are you aware of the happiness of walking in the spirit of God? Do you know the nearness of God and long for the nearness of God like the psalmist this morning? If not, let this psalmist, let these words become your prayer in the morning when you wake. The good news of the gospel is this. King Jesus fills our lives with his satisfying presence. The prophetic promise of Christ in John chapter 2, verses 16 through 22. Go back and read those verses later. That prophetic promise has been fulfilled. John 2, 16 through 22. His resurrection body became the living temple through which we now have access to the Father. And so in John 14, 23, get what Jesus tells his disciple when he asks him about where he's going. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home, our abode with him. Friends, all who are in Christ have unhindered access to God's all-satisfying presence. In fact, as the psalmist says in in verse 4 there, blessed are those who dwell in your house, we, we might say, happy are those in whom God dwells. We can experience God's indwelling presence continually as we walk in the Spirit. We can experience His presence in a very personal way. But listen, to stop there would miss the psalmist's intent. There's a corporate dimension for the psalmist to experiencing the joy and the satisfaction of God's presence. And for him, it matters that he gathers with God's people in the temple. And likewise, for the church, I would say it's through church gatherings that we can experience the joy and satisfaction of God's presence in a greater way than we can when we're individual and alone, when we're privately alone with God. There is a corporate dimension to experience God's nearness and presence when we are gathered together that we cannot experience and know alone. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two. Verse 19, you are fellow citizens speaking to the church. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, listen, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the New Testament church. This is you and me, brothers and sisters. In him, you also are being built up together, verse 22, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See what Paul's saying there? Peter likewise says in 1 Peter 2, 5, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church, just as the psalmist looks forward... To meeting with God's people and being in God's presence, so we too ought to look forward to gathering together as the body of Christ on Sunday mornings to worship God, to experience Him in togetherness and in fellowship. For God has designed the church to walk with Him and to know Him and to have fellowship together as we walk through this life and journey heavenward. For the psalmist, And the believer alike, our soul, our souls are fitted with songs of joy as we encounter the living God and as citizens of his kingdom, as we surrender to his kingship. And so the one who longs for God will be satisfied with the joy of his presence. But I also want you to see that the one who walks in God's way will be renewed and strengthened In the journey, the one who walks in God's way will be renewed and strengthened in the journey. Walking in God's way isn't easy. We see this in verses five through seven, where the journey seems to take a a practical perspective. In fact, it's quite hard oftentimes to walk in God's way and to journey heavenward, isn't it? As believers, we're constantly bombarded with temptation from the enemy. We're also bombarded with temptation from our own wretched flesh, from our fallen minds, from our depraved desires. That's why Paul spends so much time in the New Testament epistles exhorting the believer to put off the old self and to put on the new self. He exhorts us to set our minds upon the things above, Colossians 3. Or to be transformed, Romans chapter 12 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Jesus tells us in John 15 to remain in, to abide in the vine. And then we will bear fruit. So in verse 6, he says, as they go through the valley of Baca. What is the valley of Baca? The valley of Baca is the valley of weeping. Get the picture The pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem. He started out, how lovely is your dwelling place. My soul sings for joy as I think about entering into your presence. And then he says, as they go through the valley of weeping. Look at what happens. They make it a place of springs. As they go through a dry and arid land of rough terrain, these pilgrims would face hardship for the journey. It would be anything but easy. And yet in verses 5 and 7, the psalmist says those who walk in God's ways, they're happy. And they know God's strength. Even more in verse 7, look at what he says. They go from strength to strength. You know what happens in this valley of weeping, in this dry and arid land, in this rough terrain? They actually increase in strength As they walk through the valley. Look at the last two lines of verse 6. They make it a place of springs. When God's people make their way through the difficult valley. Here's what happens. Their presence brings refreshment. Just like water to a parched land. They find an oasis of God. Wherever they go. The early rain also covers it with pools. This dry and arid land isn't supposed to have pools in it. Yet, as they walk through the valley, they find these pools. As they go through this journey, this difficult trek, they bring refreshment even to the land. Makes me think about it as we're going out into the community in devastation, what are believers doing? We're bringing refreshment into the lives of those who experience great devastation. This is what God's presence does through believers. What makes us, I said it last week, what makes us distinctly Christian isn't that we would go out and help our neighbor. It's that Christ within us gives us compassion to go out and to help our neighbor and to love our neighbors. And so they find an oasis of God wherever they go. In the midst of this valley, that's incredible. As they go through the valley of weeping, they bring springs and they find pools. Friends, I'm not sure how many of us here this morning feel like we're walking through the valley of Baca. But hear me, if you are hear the word of the Lord this morning, be strengthened by God's presence don't stop walking in his ways. Run to the oasis of God in the midst of a parched land. There is refreshment and there is renewal in his presence by his spirit. Renew your confidence and faith in God, for he's not lost sight of you. As he says in verse 7 listen, none whose strength are in the Lord die in the valley. Look at what he says in verse 7. Each one appears before God in Zion. God's faithful to see him through the journey, isn't he? He's faithful. This is what happiness and human flourishing, it's about. It's about trusting in God. It's about walking in his ways. You see, walking in God's ways brings about our flourishing for his glory. Happy are those whose strength, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in the Lord. Friend, do you need to be renewed? Do you need to be strengthened in your journey with Christ this morning? Then I want to encourage you to run, run to the oasis of God's refreshing. Or maybe for you this morning, you you need to begin your journey then you too, I would encourage you to run to the oasis of God and experience life everlasting as we have sung earlier just a few moments ago. Repent of your sin. Surrender your life to King Jesus, who has made the way for you and me to be reconciled to God the Father. Last of all, this morning in verses 8-12, through 12, I, I want you to see, the one who trusts in God knows the joy of and the confidence of his security. As a child boldly enters into his father's president presence, confident that he has his father's attention, so the psalmist turns to the Lord addressing him. He addresses him in verse 8 O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. In other words, God bend your ear, let your attention be upon your children. Phrase, O God of Jacob, appears a lot in the psalm. Sometimes it's a little bit ambiguous for us as we read through it. And the point of this address to O God of Jacob, it was Jacob whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God all night. He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, but Jacob's history was a, a deceptive one. His name means supplanter, it means deceiver. And he represents the one who who learned the hard way that trusting in God is infinitely better than trusting in self. And so the psalmist directs his prayer to this faithful God who has identified with his people, who has wrestled with man and named him Israel and blessed the nation through him. And as he prays, he prays for the king in verse 9. He prays for the Lord's anointed. Behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. What's he doing? He's praying for God's favor on the king who is their protector. He knows that God is the all powerful Lord of hosts, and he's the faithful God of Jacob, and he knows that God is a shield. For them and that he gives security to his people. So he calls out to God in the midst of this journey, in the midst of this walk. God, give us protection. In the midst of our worship, be a shield for us. But this points believers to Christ. It points believers to Christ who is our shield and our security. Because God has looked upon the face of his anointed who suffered condemnation in our place. All who are in Christ have protection from His wrath, God's wrath, against our sins. so we too can come to God the Father with boldness and confidence through Christ His Son. And we too can experience eternal security as we journey heavenward. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And listen, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see, the the one who trusts in God knows joy, knows confidence in his security. In verse 12, The psalmist says, O Lord of hosts, blessed or happy is the one who trusts in you. Friends, by trusting God through Christ, we can know the happiness. We can know the joy. We can know the splendor the psalmist speaks of in verses 10 and 11. He says in verses 10 and 11, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And in verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God's presence is infinitely better than any earthly fleeting pleasure. And yet, man vainly tries to find happiness in all that God has created, but in in, in in the midst of it, fails to see that all of God's creation is really a way to enjoy God's goodness. Friends, we're not meant to find happiness in the things of the world. We're first meant to find happiness in God. We find happiness in God and He is grants us the ability to enjoy the things of the world as they point us to enjoying God. So the happiness promised by the world is like a mirage, right? It entices us. It keeps us looking. It keeps us seeking. It keeps us pressing forward, but it never gets close enough to really satisfy us. Peter and Degua, one of the missionaries local missionary in Kenya that we support and he goes and travels to uh, to all these prisons across Kenya boarded a bus last week drove rode 8 hours to take the gospel and to share it with men who were in prison shared and 64 uh, uh, in in the 60s people believed confessed Christ and then he turned around and drove 8 hours back why did he do this Why? He did it for God's glory. He did it so that lives would be transformed. He did it because someone needed to go and someone needed to tell these prisoners that they can be set free. As I think about. What the psalmist is saying here. And the trap that we fall into. This happiness promised by the world is a mirage. But the happiness that we find in Christ, it is a great reality. It it is a satisfying, satisfying truth. So get what the psalmist is saying. True happiness is found in God. One day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. Being the lowest servant in your house, the doorkeeper, is better than the ease and the comfort of the wicked. What he's telling us here in verse 11 even is that walking in God's way invites God's blessing. And that God is a son and a shield. He's a protector. He gives favor and honor to those who trust in him. This points us to Christ, doesn't it, church? Christ who manifested God's glorious presence to humanity. It's through Christ that God extends grace and mercy to his people. It's through Christ that we are satisfied with the joy of his presence. It's through Christ that we're renewed and strengthened in our journey. And it's through Christ that we, ha- that we are given favor and honor. True happiness is found by trusting in Christ. And when we walk in God's ways, we'll flourish like the pilgrims who journey through the valley of Baca. You see, Christ's kingship over our lives brings true and lasting happiness. So let me ask you this morning, have you truly surrendered your life to Christ the King? Believer, do you need to be renewed and strengthened in your journey today? If so, run to the oasis of God. Are you longing for his satisfying presence? cried to him like the psalmist cries to him this morning I'm going to pray and I want to invite you to respond as you feel led I'll be down here and I'm more than willing and would love to pray with you or even love to talk with you after the service as, as to what it means about surrendering your life to King Jesus I'll be down here to pray with you maybe you want to make these steps just a, an altar sort of, of Of coming and praying before the Lord. And you are welcome to do that this morning. But you respond how the Lord leads you this morning. You respond to the Lord of hosts. Maybe for you it's just to stand and to praise God as the Lord Almighty. The Lord of hosts. Because he is worthy of our praise. I'm going to pray. And then you'll be able to respond. Let us pray. Our Father. Your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And the psalmist this morning has shown us a glorious thing. And at the same time, he is, he, your word has, has pinned us into a corner in some ways. So, God, give us strength. Give us a holy yearning. Give us a longing to be satisfied in you like the psalmist longs to be satisfied in you. Strengthen us, Father, to be transformed by your grace, through your word, and by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?